it has become an impressive show, and, and I was convention chair five years ago when it was the first year back in the convention center, uh, and to know that it grew from 200,000 square feet to over 800,000 square feet, um, it's just amazing uh, uh, to, to watch what this club has become in a relatively short period of time is pretty fantastic. I think we've got I think we've got a light, slightly less than a thousand. We've got 1,800 booths, um, a thousand, roughly 975 exhibitors. Yeah, there's a there's a, an element of each and all of it. I mean, you have to have a big 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 picture. Um, and and our big picture, and I wish I could think of it. I helped draft it. But the, the DSC has a mission statement. It's a and it's a and it's a society that values wildlife. Um, and and we and we hunters all understand that hunters value wildlife. Welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast, fueled by Ripcord Arrowrest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrowrest, the bow hunter's number one fallaway rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment in their patented drop-dead brake system that eliminates launcher bounce back. Best of all, Ripcord is backed by their rock-solid guarantee. If the original owner has a part break for any reason, it will be repaired or replaced at no charge. And did I mention, Ripcord is located in southwest Montana, where all their products are made with pride in America. Check them out at ripcordrs.com and on their social media feeds. This podcast is brought to you by First Light Clothing and Hunting Apparel. Born in the Rockies in central Idaho, First Light's mission is to create simple yet proven versatile gear that provides comfort and performance in any situation while working to promote the pursuit of ethical hunting and stewardship. I recently joined the First Light Pro staff team and have continued to be impressed year after year in their innovations in engineering and merino wool fabrics. Ten years ago, they started putting out wool fabrics with camo patterns, and immediately this changed the game. Since then, they offer multiple layering systems and kits in various proprietary patterns and continue to raise the bar with their competition. Find them online at firstlight.com or under their social media feeds. Go farther, stay longer.
be an opportunity to pick on Kim on the podcast where we nationally do it. Considering he's sitting right there. Yeah, so... I think it would only Kim's be necessary. Kim's name should come up as much as possible. So, sooner or later, the vibes are going to work their way down the table, ah, and he's going to understand it. I could get a mic ready for him, but <laughs> he looks like he's pretty busy. So, This is the most work I've seen out of him in a long, long time. Well, I don't know how you guys got this. But that's, that's why I like to share a table with him, because I'm never at the table for the foundation, and Kim's always here. Or if he's not at the table promoting the chapters, he's, he's working the floor. So That's fantastic. All right, welcome back, listeners. Jason and I are here again at the Dallas Safari Club show here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, We've been blessed with good weather so far. We plane travel was good. Last night we were attended the Weatherby Award, had a great evening uh, watching Craig Boddington receive that. And uh, here today at the actual DSC show, uh, and uh, obviously uh, it's been a great turnout so far for the first day on Thursday, and very fortunate uh, to spend a little bit of time um, with actually um, who currently is the uh, DSC Foundation President, Richard Cheatham, who is also a previous DSC President, um, which uh, I think a lot of insight and a lot of information, you know, I think part of what Jason and I wanted to do was really understand, you know, what is Dallas Safari? And, you know, what is the history behind it? I mean, everyone obviously hears, you know, Safari Club International, but DSC, relatively a little bit newer organization. So part of what our our goal was was to sit down uh, with Kim. In this case, you know, we'll be we'll yeah. be we'll be We're, talking about Kim later. We'll talk about Kim um, later. That's a great idea. But uh, I think I think we 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 definitely have uh, a good agenda here for Richard, and uh, just uh, excited here to talk to Richard. So anyway, Richard, welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast. Thank you. I, I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you guys. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and, and appreciate the fact that y'all are here. Yeah. No, Love this it. Is, this is an impressive, impressive show. Well, First we're, time. We're looking forward to having you all back in May, too. But, yeah, this is it, it has become an impressive show. And, and I was convention chair five years ago when it was the first year back in the convention center. Um, and to know that it grew from 200,000 square feet to over 800,000 square wow. feet. Um, That's incredible. It's just amazing uh, uh, to, to watch what this club has become in a relatively short period of time is pretty fantastic. How, so. how many exhibitors do you have here? I think we've got I think we've got a light, slightly less than 1,000. We've got 1,800 wow. booths, um, roughly 975 exhibitors. And, and we actually... A couple of years ago, we realized we'd gotten too big. You know, there, there were parts of the hall I'd never seen for a couple of years because wow. you go back into the, the, the far, far reaches. I'd, I'd never actually walked that, yeah. that part of you the You can get so. lost in here. There's no doubt. Well, and, and, and I, I tell people that uh, you used to be able to see everything in a day, and, and you really have to spend two or three days here. Sure. Otherwise, sure. you're going to wear yourself out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Richard, again, welcome, and, and thanks for being here. I, you know, part of what we want to do is, is dedicate, you know, this podcast to, to the Dallas Safari Club and really understand, just, I guess, really take us through the journey. So, I mean, thinking back, 1982, DSC's established, and just kind of give us a little history, if sure. you will, about, about the club. It, it really is an interesting history, and, and quite coincidentally, probably in the last... Oh, nine or ten months, I found a file, a legal file, that had to do with the, the, the split between Dallas Safari Club and what was a chapter of SCI um, and SCI. And uh, um, I'd, I'd heard lots of stories about what happened, but I didn't know. I'd never seen the actual documentation. But, but Dallas was a chapter of SCI, along with Houston and Sacramento and other organizations. And there was a little bit of a rift in the 80s. Um, and it ultimately resulted in, a, in a, a fairly messy divorce, litigation being filed, I think three or four separate lawsuits that were being filed. And, and eventually, 
Dallas and a few other chapters remained independent. Dallas Safari Club was formed, actually, and uh, uh, as a 501c4 as opposed to a 3, and, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later. But uh, uh, Dallas just didn't ever come back to the fold and uh, uh, began with a very, very small uh, convention in the Hyatt Regency Bear Creek uh, ho- uh, uh, DFW uh, hotel <laughs> in the basement. And they at the evenings, they'd push the, the few booths out of the way and set up banquet tables and have it all in there. And in fact, I think that's, I was a, a young law student when that happened. And I started going to the conventions right about then. And so I, I was able to watch. I didn't get heavily involved until later, but uh, I was able to watch it from the very beginning. But, uh, but yeah, we, we started off as, as a chapter of Safari Club International. Wow. So 35, 36 years. And uh, so we're here today, you know, and obviously leaps and bounds that this organization uh, has done. But maybe talk a little bit about, um, you know, just the, the, the process around membership and the number of chapters. I'm, from what I understand, I'm looking on the website. I'm starting to see chapters in Texas, outside of Texas. Maybe talk a little bit about how that process has worked over time. Sure. We have a couple of different classes of membership and and, and because we were forever a regional organization, we had we have voting members that live in the five county area, and and those are the people for the most part are going to know the people better that are coming up through the leadership ranks. Uh, we have an associate membership for anybody that's outside of that. We have a life membership that that also carries voting rights, and anybody can be a life member. Um, and we're working on the right now to benefit the foundation. We're working on a, a special form of life membership, still a regular life member but a heightened level for people that, 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 you know, I think our life membership costs $1,500. Some people, once they pay that, they're happy, uh, perfectly happy to continue to support the club, and we need to give them an opportunity and a venue to do that. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, chapter standpoint, we, I think Kim announced last night, Kim Rapley, our chapter coordinator, announced last night the formation of the Wyoming chapter, and if I'm not mistaken, that's our ninth chapter. And wow. we, we have some chapters that, that cover the entire states and others that just cover regions. We have three or four chapters in Texas, San Antonio, Permian Basin, and, and Austin, and uh, Kim and I were talking about maybe doing one right down Tom Landry Turnpike over in Fort Worth. That'd uh, be fun. So, yeah. So. It's interesting because when I, and again, attend a lot of the trade shows and, and you know, life member of NRA and a lot of the organizations, but um, when I think of Dallas Safari, I don't think anything outside of Texas, right. which you say Wyoming, and then you hear you want to branch out into California. I think it's interesting. Your guys' model is not just Texas-based. Well, and, 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 and the chapter program, well, it, wasn't, it wasn't a unanimously supported uh, decision. It was, it's relatively new. It's, it's only within the last couple of years. And we dealt with the issue of the fact that it's Dallas Safari Club. And our, actually, our logo now features more DSC, but... Um, About the same time we were having these discussions, all of a sudden DSC kind of began to gain uh, international stature. And so we we worried less about the fact that we might be perceived as a regional organization because people were recognizing us nationally and internationally. We became members of the International Union for Conservation of Nature, the largest uh, governmental body, arm of the United Nations that sets and establishes or recommends all policy that deals with wildlife and wilderness. And so we were able to achieve something that I think no one ever thought we could, and that mm-hmm. kind of made us think, well, maybe we don't have to change the brand a little sure. bit. Sure. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, right? and segueing that from, from regional to national, you guys just recently got your 501c3 status? Well, we, we, we actually decided to form a, a separate 501c3 foundation. DSC is a C4 
um, cannot solicit or raise money that is tax deductible. Um, And so DSC as a four um, was able to conduct the auctions and give grants to support its charitable purpose. But, but there are a lot of people that still want to support what we do, and if we can offer them a tax deduction for what they do, great. So we decided to form a separate 501c3 that is wholly controlled. The only member of it is DSC. So it's the DSC Very good. votes for the board. Um, DSC is in complete control over it. It's a little harder to get it done from an IRS standpoint, but we were able to get it done. We actually formed it in 15 and got our tax status in 16, um, so we're really just into the, our and, second full year of, of being illegal. Well, and that's, that's an important thing in our world to be able to do that. And then you, you had mentioned earlier before we actually went on live. Sorry, people are waving at us as we're trying to talk on this. This is pretty cool. Um, that, that now you have a special program that you're doing that you're raising funds for. And I think that's going to um, outfitters that were... I think you could better describe sure, it here. Sure, sure. Uh, probably, well, there were, there were three or four of us. Um, over the last 10 years, we, we all knew somebody that had been killed or seriously injured while providing professional hunting services. And independently, we all thought, well, what can we do for these people? And, and, and one night, um, probably three or four years ago, sitting around a campfire, a few of us, I brought it up, and a few of us said, you know, why don't we do something? So we, we collectively came up with the idea to create another 501c3 foundation um, that is specifically designed to provide financial relief to hunter, professional hunters and guides and their staff uh, who are either injured, seriously injured, or killed while providing professional hunting services. And in that very first year, we gave, there was a gentleman who got stuck by Cape Buffalo. He actually had uh, difficulties in his recovery process, and we made two separate grants for him. And it's a completely uh, voluntary, charitable deal. We don't ask the exhibitors to contribute to it. We, it's all money that DSC or DSC, the foundation, the Frontline Foundation, raises. And so it was very well received. We decided that there was still a segment that wasn't being served after um, uh, we, we realized that a lot of the professional hunters, and they don't get credit for it, but they are heavily involved in providing anti-poaching services as a part of their, yes, their, their duties. Very much sure. And so we thought, gosh, those guys are really on the front line. I mean, those are the guys, when you're walking into a poacher's camp, um, I mean, you're the, you're, you're, your odds are probably significantly higher of getting yeah, hurt for sure, uh, as opposed to, to getting stuck by an elephant or a buffalo. So we expanded yes. the scope. And so, uh, and unfortunately, we, we quickly had to, uh, to make a, a, a grant to support it. Uh, you always, you, even whether it's a professional hunter, you hate you hate that you have to do this, but you're thrilled that you're able to. Sure. And, and, what, and the way we set it up and the reason we set it up the way we did is when the money's needed, it's needed quickly. Other organizations and groups have tried to raise money, and it takes 60 or 90 days or sometimes longer. But when these people, when, when you lose a, a spouse and suddenly your income is cut off, you need it right then. Yeah. Some of these people don't, most of them don't have health insurance. They don't have, they don't have disability insurance. So when they're out, they're out. They have no money coming in. So it, it, uh, we're, we're, we're very proud of it. It's, it's one of the things yeah. that I look back on and think is, is a, gosh, one of, the, one of the best things we've done. Well, and that's, that's interesting that you mention that because we had just had lunch with uh, Conrad from CraigBoddington.com, and they, you know, made some huge videos about the anti-poaching patrols, and, and he said it was interesting. I don't think the videos and the TV snippets and that kind of thing were super popular in regards to ratings and things like that, which really is kind of hard to publicize. But as hunters and conservationists like we are, those are things that we have to do that 
as a hunting organization, if you are managing an area and all of a sudden you got 50 poachers that come in and they're killing all the animals out of that area, well, those are, that's the revenue that keeps that whole area alive. And we can't have that. Right. Uh, and, 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 and what you what people don't realize on the outside is is that it's indiscriminate killing. You're not just killing the, the, the older post-productive male. You're killing the females. You're killing the young. You're killing... It's intention. It, it's intention. And, and, it's, yeah. and it's, 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 it's devastation effects are far, far reaching. And it's interesting you brought up Craig because Craig's been working a lot with Mark Haldane and Zambezi Delta Safaris. And, and a lot of that video you saw came yeah, from there. The Seed and Spark yeah, production. We've been, we've been, uh, we've been uh, supporting... Uh, Haldane and Zambezi Delta for awesome. a long time. We have a Mark was nice enough to paint one of their helicopters with the DSC colors and logo, and 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 and, and we fund his anti-poaching patrol. And one of the side benefits from it is, it it drives them out. I mean, Mark controls a a, a Kutata concession uh, numbers I think ten and eleven over there, and and so he's they've been so successful that they're pushing people out of those concessions, and he's now expanding the flights to neighboring wow. concessions and pushing them even further. And, and what we realized, and Ivan Carter is going to say something about this the other night, for what we give Mark, if you multiply that by 10 times, it's the, the, the impact is significant. If you multiply it by 50, it's going to be unbelievable. So, so we're, we're looking for more and more anti-poaching programs. We support them in Tanzania and Zimbabwe and Zambia with, with Haldane. And, and uh, we're looking for, we have several in South Africa, and we're looking for one or two in, in uh, Namibia right now. Very Marvelous. Neat. That's, That's great cool stuff. stuff. Just back real quick, circling back, Richard, on membership. So um, are there multiple levels of membership? I know you, you kind of went to life member and that, but, I mean, can a guy entry level get in at the $25, $35 supporting level? We, we, or? We've got a youth membership that I believe is about 25 or 30 and I think the cutoff there is 25 We I think we have the associate membership that I talked about that's, that's a non-voting is a $75 membership. Okay. Um, we also have several, uh, I think we might even have one or two that uh, uh, levels that are a discount if it's a three-year membership as sure. opposed to a life membership. And for anybody that's thinking about coming to the convention or coming to the convention in the future, we always have membership specials that allow you to uh, to get passes that would normally cost $20 to get in the door, but joining up for a, a, a membership gets you a couple of passes, so your, your net effective uh, for a membership is about half of what it would normally be. Gotcha. And, let me, and let me tell those people that are listening, this show is impressive. Yeah. Richard, I, I mean... I normally give Kim credit for it, but I know that he's not doing anything, really. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't even get him to react. I know, he's I know. so anti I go sit next to him. And yeah, he's, exactly. He's but I, I have to say that, I mean, I'm just standing in one place right now, and I, there's a sea of booths from for 180-plus degrees around me. I see a crocodile over there. I see ibex. I see elk. I see mule deer. Uh, it's it's awe-inspiring. It really is. It's, yeah. it, every year, I'm amazed. And, and at some point, we had, in fact, it was right up behind us where we're sitting. We had a, ca- a camera mounted up there, and we took time-lapse of it from concrete floor to concrete floor, from start to finish, wow. uh, before anything was moved in. And it is amazing. It's amazing to know that, that in two days, we, we're, we're, we've basically come to where we have now. Go, and f- in, go in from about, concrete floor to yeah, all to, of this. To this. And then on move-out, once we close it at 3.30 on Sunday, uh, Probably by about ten thirty on Sunday night, it's it's concrete again. Wow! So it's it, well, I don't we, I don't know how we hunters happens. we move quick. Right? That's yeah. right. That's right. We know <laughs> how to move it. Move That's out. right. So Richard, just kind of touching on the convention, um, 
any rough idea how many exhibitors are in the room right now? Yeah, I think I think right under a thousand. I think we have a roughly eighteen or nineteen hundred booths occupied by about nine hundred and seventy-five or, or, or you know, almost nine hundred and eighty exhibitors. I may be off a, sure. a little bit, but. Uh, uh, and then last year, uh, attendance-wise, we probably had fifty-five or sixty thousand people that came to the wow. door. Nice. And this year, and we also had some bad weather last year. We actually had snow blowing in on one day. Of course, it melted right away. But in Dallas, it's you know it shuts things down. Sure. Uh, but but I've, we have no reason to believe that uh, that the attendance won't won't be a, at least as much, if not more, than we had last year. So that's a good that's flow incredible. of people. Yeah. So as a part of the convention, um, obviously there's seminars, there's auctions that go on. Maybe just kind of speak to some of the stuff that goes on during the actual convention, sure, kind of sure. during the day. We only have daytime. We don't have any auctions. We don't pull anybody off the floor. We want the exhibitors to be able to maximize their time with the attendees. Um, but but last night we had our exhibitor welcome party, uh, uh, another little perk that we do to show our appreciation for the exhibitors. And we had a small auction there. And then this morning, uh, Thursday morning and Friday morning. Uh, well, Thursday is a low-key day in terms of until we get to the evening. We have an evening banquet every night. Uh, and then on Friday, we have a very popular ladies' luncheon that uh, takes place beginning about 10 o'clock. And on Saturday, we have a life member breakfast that, okay. uh, uh, as, and also has an auction associated with that. Ladies' luncheon does as well. Um, we don't other again. We we, we, we try not to, to schedule events that are going to take people off the floor because these people here have traveled from all corners of the world to, to be here and uh, um, and they're here for a specific purpose. And we yeah. want we want we want we want everybody to have as successful a show as they possibly can. And that means having, uh, having interested out people here. in front of them. Yeah, I think that's neat. I mean, when, you, when you're right, when you look at the different booths, I mean, I don't see a lot of domestic. Colorado, you know, Texas booths, they're out there. But what you're seeing is, is Spain and Africa. And I mean, yeah, yeah every they, corner it's, of a, the world. it's a big investment to come out here. So you want them to be able to invest their time with, with their clients. And I think that's one of the things that's that's different about us than other organizations. And, and, and one of the things is our volunteer core. But uh, we've always had uh, the interest of the exhibitor front and center. Um, you know, we, we when we have an issue that, that with a booth size, construction or whatever, we work it out. Um, we, we, we purposely don't uh, schedule events to take people off the floor for the reasons we've talked about. Mm -hmm. We have the exhibitor welcome party. We have we offer the exhibitors a free exhibitor breakfast every day in the morning that they all appreciate. Um, things like the DSC Frontline Foundation. We, we, we want to make sure that they know that we really appreciate everything they go through to not only to come but our ability to make charitable grants comes from the auction items that they donate and and uh, uh it's a it's a relationship that clearly doesn't work without their support and, sure. I, and I, I think they i think they know we like them uh, sure. and so uh, uh yeah it's it's a good thing we, we noticed that you've got you've got some pretty good sized raffles going on here, and the silent auction we kind of walked over that direction. I don't think they were prepared for us. We were here so early, but that was that was pretty impressive. I mean, you must have had forty or fifty hunts just listed in the silent auction. Yeah, I'm it's like, amazing. Wow, it, you know that, and it, it's it's interesting. Over the years, you could you if you were looking for a deal. Um, 
the, for, for quite a while, Thursday night was the night to come. That was the, the nobody, for whatever reason, that was the best deal. And then people figured it out, and Thursday wasn't a good deal anymore. <laughs> and, then, and now it's, the, it's the, still some of the best, are, the best buys are, are in the silent auction. Sure. So. Yeah, because, I mean, you figure not everyone's probably going through the silent auction. And, uh, you know, for the some of the amount of African hunts, I mean, we saw, I mean, a, a ton Holy of African cow, hunts. Yeah. Um, there's going to be some great deals, pockets of deals in there that people just aren't going to see and, you know, people take advantage of. Yeah, and, you know, there's a less of an impulse buy element, too. You're in you're, you're in the banquet and you've had a few t- cocktails. And, and so, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so so they're more, there's somebody buying that really didn't want that hunt, but they just... They, they want to yeah. be the big Now, listen, we dog. know Kim is a professional at making people do stuff like that, but uh, he's back to working again. Can't <laughs> dig on him too much. So, Richard, you, you spoke just briefly about volunteers. I, I do want to spend some time talking about volunteers because um, I've been a volunteer. I've been a part of a multitude of NRA um, fundraiser events uh, where we've we've done some amazing things you know taking dinners that did this and exponentially you know grew them into into some of the largest dinners in the state but we could never do that without people that show up that want nothing but maybe a hat or a coffee mug at the end of the day you know which is at least that right i mean at minimum but um, without those volunteers i mean we can't do these types of things and raise these types of things allow people to provide money to you know um, families that have lost one of their you know loved ones so maybe talk a little bit about the volunteer in your eyes and kind of what you look for as a volunteer sure. for the foundation yeah we 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 refer to them as the dsc 100 because it used to be 100 volunteers and, okay and, and and it quickly turned into 500 and so as you said we you can't do something like this you can't we we have a small staff we have we may have 12 paid staff people that work for DSC and they and they do an incredible job but we depend on volunteers and then we give them a shirt that's and it's a and it boy people when we run out it's, it's a hell all hell breaks loose yeah. to find where's more my shirts, shirt so. where's my but, shirt uh, but now we call it the DSC 100 because it's it's the volunteers that give 100% and, okay and that's where I started I, nice. I was not heavily involved and somebody asked me to run a committee of one and I did and I didn't have, have any idea what I was supposed to be doing but I, I moved into the move in move out role which was probably one of the bigger committees and that's one again to show the exhibitors that we appreciate them we have we have volunteers that are waiting there to to help them unload their vehicle put it on a cart we don't set it up for them but we take it to their booth and and uh, uh and, and again let them know how much we appreciate so uh, uh it's a critical part of what we do and it's also another one of those things that sets us apart from other organizations yeah so, so like i mean a convention like this i mean how many volunteers would you guess on average i mean are, are in the building now just helping I mean, uh, I would, what does it take 70 to, or 80 today right now on the on 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 the front end and the back end you're probably going to have more okay. uh, but but maybe maybe as many as 100 every day i mean we've got wow. people working security we have a kind of an elite core that called the floor managers that basically have the authority to do to make tough decisions we have we have hospitality in the morning pushing coffee carts around uh uh gosh it's just at one point, when I, before I was a convention chair, I thought, I'm going to try to serve on every single committee to see what they do. And I didn't, but I was, I was close to it. But, boy, it just amazes me. It, and, 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 again, it's one of those things that makes the, the exhibitors really appreciate the effort. Sure. Well, it takes, mean, a, it takes a lot. I mean, putting on a show like this, I mean, it's not a, hey, let's just go do that type of a thought. You yeah, know, it, when, this is, this is yeah. serious stuff right now. And it's interesting. We... we uh, uh, the month before it is crazy and i'm a i'm a i'm a lawyer i got a private practice i don't do this for a living but uh, but i'm but i'm heavily involved 
And boy, when somebody throws a curve at you or asks you to do something, I had somebody ask me three or four days ago to help them out, and it probably took an hour, but it was an hour I didn't have. And, and I'm like, and boy, forget about me. The people that are running this convention, our executive director, uh, you know, there's no sleep from about Thanksgiving. Are you on. trying to be nice to Kim again? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm. I'm. I, I'm. I'm not taking it. I'm. Uh, you know, he skipped out on this podcast. He's pretending like he can't hear us right he, now. Yeah, and he's pretending I think he's like got he selective actually works right now because I see him smiling. But <laughs> oh, wait so, till I get him on the mountain hunting one of these days. Richard, one of the things I saw on the website was the uh, the safety extravaganza. So the shooting archery field excellently trials for youth. It, Maybe you could speak a little bit about that or kind sure. of what that program is. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the things that actually got me involved in the club a long time ago. We, we have another 501c3 uh, that we've had a long-time relationship with. Uh, it used to be called Dallas Ecological Foundation. It's now the Outdoor Tomorrow Foundation that's developed a public school curriculum that's in that probably services about 30,000 students a year, and maybe 30,000 a semester. And they teach outdoor skills and, and the ideas. And, and some, some aspects you can promote hunting more. Some schools will allow you to promote it more. But the idea is that to get them involved in the outdoors, and some of those people will transition into hunters and fishermen. And from that group, we twice a year uh, have conducted what we call the, the safety extravaganza, and it's uh, shooting archery field excellency uh, trials for youth, I believe. Yeah. Yep. And so we have about 125 kids that come out to a venue that we pick, and we put them into teams or, 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 or break them down by schools, and we, we have seven different, six or seven different stations. We have pistol, uh, rifle, uh, shotgun, muzzle loader. Um, and then the uh, field excellency, field, I mean, a shoot or don't shoot uh, uh, type of program. Um, and I ran the rifle range for about seven or eight years. And what you get, and it's, it's a lot of, it's pulled a lot from the DFW area. And what you get is a lot of, a lot of urban kids that have, that have never had a chance to shoot a gun. Sure. Wow. And, and a lot of them are single parent families that have never had a chance to come out there. And we hear that all the time from the parents. We say, you know, we love it. We, we, my child would never have an opportunity. And I know the NRA is, is yeah. really big it's in this. And we huge. And the foundation has supported the NRA's efforts in a big, big way and, and, and will continue to. But it's so critical for what we're talking about, shooting sports and hunting. It's so critical to have them involved. And, and um, this is a great program. My son went through it. My son's now 30 years old. He, he went through it when he was about 12 um, and had a great time. And, and it made an impact not only on him but me. It, it, it's kind of what prompted me to get Sure. More and more involved with DSC. Well, that's funny because this this particular program, I look and relate it back to what I do with the NRA, and how we really have a base goal that we've been working on from the friend standpoint for like 25 years now. And our general concept is, you know, those children that are really, let's say, age eight to 18, um, and a lot of them from metropolitan areas that maybe are from single family parents they a lot of them have the drive and the want and want to experience things but they don't have the opportunity right and so the nra foundation a lot of the money that we grant out in fact multi-millions of dollars every year goes directly to youth related programs now we're you know that's going to be 4-H or Boy Scouts or anything else. But this type of a program is exactly what we look for to support. Because the cool thing is, I think if we can teach firearms and hunting to kids that are in between 8 and 18, firearms teach us responsibility. Absolutely. And responsibility, once they've learned that, 
maybe when they turn 18, we're going to lose them for a little while, right? They're going to either start into college, start into a new career, work, or whatever. But when they get past that stage, they're going to come back to the fold. And so I think that that responsibility truly does raise people that think consciously about things and doesn't look at a firearm or hunting as the TV media evil you know, no scenario. Yeah, so no, I, no I, I applaud you guys for this program. That is absolutely fantastic. Well, and then the other side of the coin is, is uh, in addition to the responsibility and the respect for firearms and the understanding that, 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 that the firearm is not the enemy. It's, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tool, right? Yeah. Uh, Takes someone to pull the trigger. Well, exactly. And, 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 but, but you also, you know, anybody that hunts knows how, you know what hunting, how, what kind of education hunting gives you. Yes. You, know, it, you, know, you. There's there's no better. There's no there's nobody that knows the the outdoors like hunters do. Uh, there's no. I've been my personal opinion. There's no better conservationist than a hunter. And 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 to start them at an early age, especially with the, what they're getting on the other side, is hunters are bad. Yeah. You know, and hunters are evil. And if you know, you shame them whenever you can. Uh, uh, and this is an opportunity. We look for opportunities, whether it's through the NRA program or Outdoor Tomorrow Fund, or we we also support Boy Scouts. We and and uh, and 4-H and the Shooting Sports Foundation. So, uh, but we we need to recruit hunters. Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt. And so that's that's our focus right now. My personal focus as president of the foundation is to find opportunities to get kids in the field. Um, and it's so critical. I mean, education right now is the best thing that we can do is, is educate the kids. But I mean, I, I look at this venue and say, in 20 years, is this going to be here? Because our, ten. there's a, there's a, yeah, our tenure, there's a lot of people here that have been doing this for a heck of a long time that aren't going to be doing it for long. So, you know, our next generation of conservation is so important because if they don't want to do this stuff, these types of events won't be supported. Well, that's exactly right. And, and one of the other things that's a little different for us is it's it's uh, kids under 12 are free, um, and you don't have to actually be a member of DSC to join. But we encourage pam- families to bring kids here. Uh, we those. I mean, I can tell you that that uh, I know a lot of people who grew up like me, maybe as a duck hunter, dove hunter, and thought one day I'd like to go to Africa. But to get them and walk them, have them walk around here and think, okay, yeah, this is how I can do it, and it's really not as expensive. I thought. Well, man, we need to. We, we rather than put barriers up to kids uh, and discourage them from learning and participating, yeah. we need to we need to roll out the red carpet. I agree. I couldn't agree anymore. Richard, just to, to kind of close out here. So, um, looking at media, I know DSC. Um, you know, clearly from from a social media standpoint, or, or also some of the publications you guys provide. I mean, clearly as an outreach opportunity for for people to to see what you guys are doing but maybe talk a little bit about you guys do a quarterly newsletter i think called cam talk and then you've got your magazine or monthly newsletter and then the quarterly magazine game trails maybe talk a little bit about those publications sure sure you're right cam talk Talk is i think there are 11 issues out of the year and the game trails is a high product high quality production glossy publication that comes out quarterly um, and we and we've 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 got a much greater uh, uh, social media presence than we had before, and mm-hmm. and really coinciding with the growth of Dallas Fire Club, and I think in, in large part due to it. Um, we developed a relationship with uh, Safari Classics. We started to become the we became the title sponsor of of, uh, of Safari Classics tra- uh, tracks across Africa. But but that's you know that that's that's helped us get the word about Dallas Safari Club out there, and that's also helped us because we. The, the residual effect is it brings more attention to the club and brings more people to the show. It helps us raise more money, and then we turn around and grant give it back it, out. Give it back And away. that's the thing about the foundation, too. We, 
we're transparent. You look at our website right now, and you can see every grant that we've ever made. Mm-hmm. We don't put the dollar amount down, but we want people to know where their money goes. And sure. we, the only way we're going to get people to continue to, to support us and support us in a big way is for them to be comfortable that their money is being well spent. Yeah. And that's why I'm that's so awesome. comfortable with grants to the NRA and the NRA Foundation. Our money is well spent. That's awesome. Well, I think about really hunters good. want to know where their meat comes from. You know, some people want to know where their money goes, their right? Money goes. And when people go to these types of events, pay their, you know, $1,500 life membership or whatever. That, I mean, a lot of times people want to know in foundations where their money goes. And it's great to be transparent and show that, hey, we did shooting sports. We did the safety extravaganza where we had 200 kids and showed them, you know, safety, you know, gun safety and well, rifle and that- safety. So it that to me is really the i think the cornerstone of these foundations i I think a big movement in today's day and age too is the farm to table type of concept and you talked about trying to get more hunters out there um for anybody that's listening and most of our audience that's listening are going to be hunters because it's a hunting fishing podcast but for those guys that are listening to this really take action if you have a neighbor that doesn't hunt that's ever expressed an interest or if their kid has expressed an interest. I challenge everybody to try to take one new hunter a year right. because like you said, our population of hunters is dropping. I love our sport and I hate to say this, but when I was growing up, my dad was like, okay, don't tell anybody that we do this and don't tell them where we go. And you know, we were that- It was very private. It was yeah. very private. and. Yeah. And that was cool, but at the same time, my view now as an older hunter is, man, I love it when my boy bragging to his friends about him killing something, and one of his, you know, teenage friends goes, well, I want to go hunting. And so the first thing I always challenge them to do is I'm like, okay, well, here's the deal. You, not me, you have to go take your hunter safety class. I said, but if you'll take your hunter safety class and show me your card that you've passed, I said, I can provide a gun, I can provide optics, I can provide everything, and then we will find you an opportunity to go hunting. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's critical. And, you know, everybody's got their personal story. My father wasn't a hunter. I mean, I grew up on the Texas coast, good duck hunting, um, and and I kind of, I finally, somebody finally, one of our neighbors finally, asked me to go and boy from that point forward I was hooked and so you you have to you have to seize those opportunities that's one of the things I like about the programs that we supported but but there's there's got to be a better way a more efficient way for us to uh, to actually get kids in the field and you know you can think of it it's easy to do dove hunts and stuff like that the deer hunt's a little harder to coordinate and things but uh but boy, you know, they're, they're just few. I don't know too many kids that have actually gone out and hunted and, and, and decided that they hated it. And that's the thing. I mean, in, in the media world today, you know, getting them away from devices and things that, you know, clearly right now, um, you know, it's our world. I mean, it's, it's not going away. We know it's probably only going to get more. But um, still, as kids, I mean, that's what we did. When I was a kid, we had a BB gun and we went out and, and we shot doves or, you know, or we shot pigeons and. And then, of course, then the, t- the 22 comes into the, you know, the mix. And then so then you're out shooting gophers and squirrels. Right. It, that That is becoming a lost art with kids today. And it scares me uh, because, you know, I want their, that to be for me in 25 more years. And I want someone like Jason's son, who's 13 years old, to be able to have the same experiences as I had for the next 20 to 30 yeah, years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I, and I, you mentioned you're talking about whether this is going to be here in, 10, in, 10, in 20 years, 10 years. 
I, I, somebody said it to me the other day that 2018 is going to be a watershed year for hunting. We've got so many different issues, whether it's fish and wildlife and imports, uh, captive bred lion hunting that's a big deal in South Africa right now. Yeah, uh, privatization of public lands right now, that's a big one. Uh, I think that uh, I, I'm... I'm I'm really interested in, in, in addressing the problem right now, um, uh, and, and I don't, I'm, I'm not I don't discount the the need to have to to, to to make sure we have hunters available in 20 years or you know when when our kids mature. I think we have a, I think and I think that's a, an extremely important issue. I really think we've got a serious problem in the next five or six or seven years, and, and uh, it worries me. But yeah. uh, and and I, and I just got finished obviously today earlier today with a great workshop on communicating our issues. Um, and I'm glad to see that we're all kind of coming together. And, and, and as somebody said, our, our, our unified voice is a much stronger voice than our individual voice. Um, people have said that before, and I think we've got an opportunity to actually come up with you know, come up with a unified voice. And boy, when you put NRA and SCI and Dallas and Houston and all those people together, and and and, and there's a lot more of them, but but uh, it's a formidable or, uh, a group of organizations. And we. That's we a powerhouse have some, of people there. Yeah. We have some serious, powerful, and influential individuals throughout all the different organizations and adding Ducks Unlimited and Turkey and, and Elks and yep. deer, deer and yeah. you know, wildlife conservation groups all pulling together to have that same voice. Um, once again, you know, we just got to make sure that we all are kind of on the same page. And hopefully, hopefully we can do that because I think you're right. We're in that weird. We're in that weird void right now, where we have opportunities to expand, but we also have places where if we don't take advantage of this time frame that we're in right now yeah. to protect our rights, that we don't know what the next administration could do to us. Right. Right. We. I wrote an article for for I think for for Game Trails or Camp Talk. Uh, about exactly that, we we've got uh, we have a window where we have an opportunity to get stuff done here, um, yeah. and we can't take it we we can't take it for granted. Um, and I think that there's uh, I think that I think that, that the thing, some of the things we have started right now are gonna are gonna pay off. I think that the Hunters Leadership Forum with what NRA is doing, the We Hunt for Life campaign that Dallas Safari Club is doing, um, we have a hundred foot by two hundred foot outdoor board on a parking garage over here about a quarter of a mile away that has a big image of a male lion and the and the, 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 the graphics are and the fight to save his species hunters are his best are his best allies and and, and we have we have good stories to tell. Yeah. We we're really good about preaching to the choir. Uh, but we need, and, and, and we don't need to convince anti-hunters to hunt. We need to That's convince happen, the people yeah. that are open-minded already yeah. that what we do is good. And like you said, be proud to say that you're a hunter. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to hide anymore. And you have, no. you, 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 uh, uh, with the locavore movement, we have an opportunity here. So there's, there, to some degree, the stars are aligning for us. Yes. Uh, you can tell people all day long about how many uh, hunters for the hungry, 2.1 million pounds, eight, which translates to 8 million meals. In Africa, uh, only from, from one concession only, Haldane's concession, he's given almost 150,000 pounds in the last three years. Uh, Zambia gave 285. That can, that, over there, that converts to almost a million meals. That's right incredible. There wow. But but then you get to the locavore and you say, boy, there's, you know, what better pure form of protein is it from there than a, a deer or an elk or a pronghorn or yeah. a duck no or a duck or whatever, whatever. Uh, yeah. so, so we've got good stories to tell. Um, 
we just have to be better about telling them. I agree. I mean, there when you when you look at everything that's happening with all the organizations, and you know, there's small chapters doing this, and obviously DSC and the foundation. But you're right. I mean, we need to promote and tell these good stories, and we're not always good about that, right? Because we're Americans and we charge on. Once we get one thing done, we're on to the next challenge, right? right? And right. And, and we're not right, really. We don't boast about that stuff, right? What what do we say? It's the best kept secret in the organization is, you know, we're not out there to just put it in their face and say, oh, look at what we did. We're like, well, you should recognize what we did. Right. Yet sometimes I'm thinking that we got to we got to do that. No, and I agree. And I think and I think that's um, and I, I can I can easily be too critical. Um, uh, I, I don't think we've done a good job of getting the message. We've let other people define it for us for too long. We were yeah. talking about the negative connotation of trophy hunting earlier today. We, we let that happen. You know, we, we, we didn't stop it when we didn't address it when we could. Um, I, I, and that's one of the reasons why we're not we're not we're not worried about putting a billboard up that's that's controversial, that might be a little bit provocative to people. We want to engage. We want people to sure. click on that website, because if they do, they're going to they go to the foundation's website. They're going to see that very same image. They click on that image. They're going to have 15 different stories that talks about the benefits of lion hunting and to, to lions, to the populations, to other wildlife, to the wilderness areas. And so we, we need to engage people in a different way. We need to get them, uh, we need to make them aware of these good stories because yeah. it's whether it's Africa or whether it's white-tailed deer, whether it's Rocky Mountain elk or wild turkey or yeah. quail or whatever, we've got so many good stories to tell. There Just are. from the population protection. Yeah. Oh, yes. There's Amen no doubt. That. Well, cool. This has been a, a great conversation, Richard. <laughs> I appreciate your insight. And I know I've taken away a lot of things based on, you know, this is my first DSC um, I've been to some of the SCI shows in the past, but um, always knew about Dal Safari, but but really didn't understand kind of the history. And I think this this helps me, and obviously will give our listeners a little bit more of a insight about kind of what the foundation is about and kind of what your guys' vision is. And uh, thinking about vision, and we can kind of close with that. I mean, as being president of the foundation, I mean, clearly, you know, people get put in leadership positions because they have vision, they have strategy. In your mind, what do you see? I mean, is there a five-year roadmap? Is there a ten-year roadmap? Is it is it a day-to-day? Is it a one-year? I mean, what what's your thoughts on where this could go? Yeah, there's a there's a, an element of each and all of it. I mean, you have to have a big 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 picture. Um, and and our big picture, and I wish I could think of it. I helped draft it. But the, the DSC has a mission statement. It's a and it's a and it's a society that values wildlife. Um, and and we and we. Hunters all understand that yes. hunters value wildlife, and, yes. and, 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 a, and, a, and a strong, regulated hunting uh, 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 form of wildlife management is the best thing for wildlife. Yeah. And so, uh, I, short term, I would like to. I would like. It's hard to get a. It's hard to gauge. You know how successful your campaign is, but but feedback is one. And so, I, short term, I want I want to know that figure out that we're reaching people and that we're having we're engaging with people and we're. And we're we're getting them to think. Um, uh, I, I, I'm encouraged every time there's a bad story that whether it's Cecil or, or or anything like that that comes out, there are always good stories that follow it from unexpected yeah. sources. You see New York Times op-ed pieces. Um, you see National Geographic occasionally. You see other groups that never would say a kind thing about hunting, but all of a sudden there's. There's, there's enough sense for me that there are people out there that don't like what we do, don't necessarily support it, maybe don't like, not, not that I don't like it, but, but there's, there's a, there seems to be a willingness of people to, to listen now. And so I, I'm, one, of the, one of the takeaways I have is 
thank God that the NRA is doing what they're doing. Thank God that Dallas Safari Club has stepped up and decided that rather than wait for people to, to come forward, we're actually yeah. doing something, and others are doing it as well. Absolutely. Um, and so I want to see how that plays out. But ultimately, we want we want our kids and we want our grandkids to be able to hunt Africa or New Zealand. We want them to, you know, we've lost grizzly bear in B.C. We, we're not giving up on that. We want to go, but we want our kids to have those same opportunities. And to, and to learn the value of regulated hunting and what it means to the survival of wildlife. It's not, it's not so much about hunting. It is and it's not. But, but uh, uh, I, my vision of, 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 of the Eden for, for wildlife doesn't look like a zoo. It sure. looks like oh, wild Africa. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want my kids to think that the only time that they're ever going to see an ostrich is when it sticks its head in your car and tries to eat out of your hand. Uh, and there are yeah. places yeah. in South Africa and in parts of South Africa, Southern Africa right now where that's, you know, I'm not, not a slam on photo safaris at all, but I, I, want, I, want there to be, I want there to be wild, I want there to be a wild African scenario, I, whether it's, you know, I want there to be a wild New Zealand. And I want, you know, I, I, I well, think that, I think we have an, a responsibility and I, and I hope we're wise enough to, to I, recognize it. I love, I love that vision. And, and one thing that really comes to my mind is, and, and you had kind of touched on it in regards to negative press um, and the lion situation is I still remember um, something that came out of, out of the actual lion scenario where the actual guy that was, that was the one that was in charge of keeping eye on Cecil and all that stuff openly said, without these animals having value that the local people will just kill them all right they will be no lions for anybody anywhere if they don't actually place a value on them and i felt that was really profound since this was the guy that was really doing the study on the animals and basically they're living in zimbabwe and and he openly said hey look you know this is a bad situation. Maybe it wasn't all played out perfectly, but the reality is if you say, okay, we're no longer going to do this anymore, he goes, all my projects will dry up. He goes, the locals around here will, as soon as that cat goes anywhere near their livestock, they'll slaughter them all on site, and we will have no more lions. And the funny part to me is that was on a national broadcast scenario, but... They only snipped him like like 12 seconds. Yep. And for anybody that wasn't really paying attention, they lost it. I know the man that said it. Um, yeah. And, 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 and we've actually, DSC has supported Oxford University and Wild Crew, the people that were performing that. In fact, there's, I think our executive director uh, pointed out to me the other day, our president did, there's a pretty good chance we actually paid for the collar that was on Cecil's neck. Wow, um, and that's so, amazing. So we've supported it. And, and, and Hunter's, Hunter's dollars provide 80% of the budget for Zimbabwe parks. Uh, wow. How many, how many was, people know that, right? right. Yeah, but, and they, but you know what? Even if you tell them, they're not going to talk about it. It's like you said; they're not going to. Uh, yeah. They're not going to mention that part about the people that. Now, you know, some of those people admit that begrudgingly, but it's a fact, and that's another thing. We're, you know, we need to we need to get that information out there that it's not just hunters. I, yeah. I, you know, they'll discount what we say. They'll say, sure. well, of course, what else are you going to say? But when you get a, a Dr. Rosie Cooney from the IUCN, or you get. David McDonald, one of the Oxford University people, uh, you get Paula White, you get some of these other people, and then you get some people that are that are 
that have nothing to do with hunting. I don't know if you all know the show called Adam Ruins Everything, but there was a great piece on, on the, it's, his, it's a show about challenging conventional wisdom, and he chose trophy hunting. And uh, he basically said, trophy hunting is not nearly as bad as you say, and then he explained why. And so we're, we're, we're getting people outside of the hunting community and, and the, to recognize some of the things. And that's one of the things that you mentioned, you know, what's your long-term vision or whatever. It's to, it's to educate the, the non-hunting public, not, the, not so much the anti-hunting public, but the non-hunting public, who I think in various degrees, supports what we do. And, sure. And I think you're right. The farm-to-table movement with the younger... They just I'm going to call know. them kids because I have gray hair now, too. Yeah. The younger generation that are actually going, you know what, I want to know what I'm putting into my body. I think those individuals are really stepping forward, and they're going to be they're going to be part of our movement yep. to help us go forward. Uh, you're right. You're right. And I think, I think you... Whether it's the locavore movement, whether it's uh, uh, whether you have to seize on the opportunity, whether it's Cecil and, and, and six months ago Cecil's son Zanda was killed, uh, 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 you you have to take advantage of the opportunity. You have to identify what that market. And that's another thing that came out of this workshop we were talking about early. You know, your message might be slightly different to the local the people that are involved in the locavore movement than it would be to the the, the younger group or the, yeah. the, the group that's more concerned about the conservation benefits of what you do. Yes, uh, but uh, uh, we've got we've got good stories to tell. Yeah, um, and, yeah. And, and 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 sometimes you have to be a little provocative in order to get people to click on your site or come to your Facebook yes. page. Or it's all about approach. It is. You know, it it's is. a it's a big part of it. But I I think at the end of the day, I think we know our work is never done right. in this front and. Yeah. Uh, it's efforts like DSC, NRA, obviously a lot of the organizations that I think collaboration is important. You know, I know Jason was talking a little earlier about, you know, collaborations with DSC, sending, uh, you know, different uh, grants, you know, across the 501c3s. I mean, doing stuff like that, the, the only way that you can, I think, combat a lot of this is to collaborate and to challenge that convention and build these organizations together. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and I'll mess up the quote, but, 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 uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 there's, there's definitely strength in numbers, and when you get the organizations that we're talking about together and get them completely on the same page, they're, 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 it's, it's a, it's a, it's a powerhouse. It's yeah. a force to be reckoned with, and and uh, and I think I, every day I think we're closer and closer to that. I just, um, I'm, I'm, I just turned sixty. I want, I want to see more results faster. I don't want to talk <laughs> about it anymore. I want to do yeah. it, and so that's that's one of the reasons Good. why, frankly, DSC stepped up and. And, and took action. That's one of the reasons why we're 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 educating the public. Why we've got that billboard out there. Why we're why we're we're we're, we're auctioning off black rhino permits and, and taking the heat for it. That's we're we we decided that we t- time to talk is 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 done. We have to take action. And and I would we still would rather you know, combine forces. Yeah, and, uh, and and I think we will. Yeah, power and in numbers. Uh, here's a man that's that's working on the same thing, walking yeah. our way here. Yes, so. it is. Well. NRA strikes again. Uh, <laughs> Chilcote's ignoring me anyway. Some of the best ideas have come over campfire stories. To that's your point, exactly right. That's yeah. absolutely. We were just talking about you, Don. Yeah, we we won't say it, but everybody's listening to us, Don. 
So with that, Richard, thank you. Thanks for uh, carving out some time with us uh, just to kind of share the story of DSC and uh, any closing comments or remarks you'd like to leave with the listeners today? No, only that, uh, number one, I appreciate you guys giving us the opportunity. We appreciate the, the NRA's, uh, all, the, all the things that NRA does, not only for, for, for Second Amendment and gun, and gun owners, but, uh, but for hunters as well. NRA is one of the oldest hunting organizations in the country, and, and uh, uh, we appreciate uh, everything that's done. Um, I, I again, I think we've got uh, we've got a great message to tell. With with and uh, we're a hunting or conservation organization. We've got strength there. NRA is a fighting organization. Sure. It's got the ability to fight and get the message out there. And so I think that's a that's a pretty good combination. And we look forward to working with the NRA. We look forward to. NRA coming back in in May here, uh, pretty darn quick, right around the National corner. National convention so, right around so, the corner. But again, thank you both for giving me the opportunity to spend a few minutes with you and your listeners. One last thing, if they wanted to get a hold of DSC, how do they do that? DSC's website is www.biggame.org, uh, and they can okay. learn everything from membership to information about the convention. If they want to learn about the foundation, dscf.org. Um, and again, as I mentioned, we've got every single grant we've ever made. We've got a, an opera. They have to figure out how they can support if they want to support, um, and uh, and see the types of programs that we support. So, and and you know, after things settle down and the office opens back up, we let staff have a little bit of time off to recover, <laughs> but they can call the office too as well. Sure. So, and then we'd love to have them join. Like I said, we're talking about membership level. We've got a membership level that hopefully appeals to somebody and, and to everybody, and uh, uh, whether it's locally or through chapters, uh, um, that, that also helps us spread our mission, our, 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 our uh, mission and message. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Sign up. Check out DSC's website. Um, join a foundation. Um, you Come know, to join the Join one of the chapters. Oof. Come to the convention, absolutely, and, and just see the work of art that happens, uh, you know, during these conventions. I think it's remarkable the amount of effort that goes into these. So, anyway, thanks, everyone, for listening. Richard, thanks again. Jason, thanks for jumping on with us, uh, and we'll catch you guys again for another venture on the Arnie Outdoors podcast. Hey everyone, this is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer.